I heard Glenn Beck recently, and he was hopeful. Yeah, I mean that. He expressed genuine optimism. And it wasn't based on the polls or the economy, the culture, or any of the normal things that people measure. Not Glenn. He saw something totally different, and I think he's right on. Glenn's reason for optimism stems from a subtle shift in tactics by both sides in the war between liberty and totalitarianism. That's right, the man who brought you worries about George Soros, the Muslim Brotherhood, and communist China well in advance of their harsh reality has reason to be optimistic? Let me tell you, I think he's right, and his message should spur us to action. Let's watch what he said. They've mastered something that we can't find our butt, uh, you know, if it was right in front of us. Mm -hmm. And that is storytelling. Mm. We suck at storytelling. We suck at telling the American story. We suck at, I mean, you're a religious guy. Mm Mm-hmm. I know you've seen the really bad Christian movies, <laughs> yes. right? Where if it, it, where the whole intent is somebody saying, "Let's see if we can bring the audience to Jesus." Yeah, like it's it's ham-handed, right? Con- right, and it's always attempt. like you know the very last scene. It's somebody that says, "I want to be baptized. I'm a Christian now. I understand the power of Jesus Christ in my life." And you're like, "Okay." okay. And now everything's wonderful, and I have- right. That's the way we've always been. Yes, but we're getting better at that now. Mm-hmm. What we've always done is we've always said, "Make a point. Get people to open their eyes." Well, that's not a great movie. Okay, and and so it fails. We are finally getting, you gotta tell a good story. Leave it at that. Don't push the horse's face in the water. Hey, water's over there. And make it an entertaining trip. We're already out of the movie theaters. We're already on it. And the only thing that needed to happen was other people making a good product that entertained us. That's around the corner. They're in a losing position, and the power is about to flip. And I think that is really great news. Glenn nailed it. The left has gone so woke that they feel they have to make their point directly in every single everything. You have LGBTQ shoved in your face in cartoons. Everything's about climate change. I even saw NCIS recently, a show that I love and have watched for years. In this episode, the bad guy was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, female, domestic American terrorist, while her fiancé was the patriotic American Muslim born in Afghanistan. Now, there's nothing wrong with showing that viewpoint, but the writers went out of their way to hammer home the point rather than telling a good story. They've lost the power of storytelling. We've said this before, but it's worth repeating. Our life is increasingly determined by politics. What you can say, where you can go, how you can raise your kids. Politics can tell you if you have to take an experimental vaccine or wear a mask. Politics determine whether or not you have a job or can start a business. Politics is upstream from your life. But culture is upstream from politics. Before we had the cram down of transgender wokeism in our libraries and elementary schools, 
there was will and grace. This marginally popular TV show normalized LGBTQ issues and played a powerful role in transforming the culture. It did so with storytelling. Storytelling is a powerful weapon in the culture war, but it's also an economic weapon. Did you know that before the pandemic, total annual box office receipts were $42.5 billion per year? That's big. But when you add in TV, streaming, music, and video games, the entertainment industry totals well over $700 billion per year. This is a huge business, and it has an impact on your future, but it also has an incredible opportunity for wise investors, those wanting to take back our culture. The best way to influence politics is storytelling. The leftists owned this when they were out of power. Now that they're in power, they've become so ham-handed that they've lost the art. The good news is that there's a brand new breed of conservative storytellers rising. They understand the subtle art of persuasion, and they're producing terrific content. We're fortunate to, enough to have two such artisans in the economic war room. They're friends, award-winning filmmakers, and powerful storytellers. Welcome, Joy and Matt Thayer. Thank you <laughs> hey. so much. Thank you, Kevin. Hey, I'm looking at your bio, and a few things jump out. The first one is Sparrow Pictures. What's the story behind that name? <laughs> well, um, I've always, uh, God's word on my life has always been hope. And I've always uh, walked away from a lot of situations where people have just said, you're just always so hopeful. And so I felt like God was calling me to be a bringer of hope. And so when it came time to, you know, come up with a movie studio name or a production studio name, I was like, well, I don't want to call it Hope Pictures because that's, you know, again, you know, it's right on the nose, right? So, well, what if we were to find another word? And so I dug into like Latin and I found that Spiro means to hope in Latin. And so it's literally Hope Pictures, but uh, it, it causes a lot of people to ask the question of like, well, what is that? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's cool, you know? So that was how the, the origin story of that. Well, that's awesome. I, I know you've done some documentaries. One of them was The Trump I Know. Tell, tell us just a, briefly about that. Yeah, so I had worked on a film called Unplanned, and our Twitter account had gotten taken down on accident. And on the day that the movie was on released. On the day that the movie was released. And so our executive producers ended up going out to meet up with Laura Trump and Mike Pence. And one of our executive producers, Joe Knopp, ended up becoming friends with Laura Trump. You want to share how that went down? Yeah, so they 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 just hit it off, and they're just both from Middle America, and you know had both have some really amazing kind of origin stories of you know like Laura becoming, you know, and they just swapped stories, and uh, and all of a sudden they were like, LaJoe's like these stories that you're telling me about the family and you, and like why don't we know these as Americans? And so they talked about um, uh, creating a documentary where we interviewed a lot of the women in Trump's orbit. And uh, and so it was kind of like right in the middle of the, the lockdowns and stuff like that. And so uh, my friends, uh, Joe and Daryl, uh, came to, to us and said, hey, would you help us Joy produce it and Matt direct it. And so we jumped on uh, the plane and uh, went out there and we filmed and produced and edited that whole thing in three months. That's and as, amazing. And as far as I know, it's the only documentary 
uh, about President Trump that actually has an interview with him in it. We interviewed him in the White House, and I think we were the only documentary team allowed in there. That's great. But you have to keep in mind, when I was asked to produce this documentary, I hadn't voted for President Trump in the previous election. And so I had heard everything from mainstream media and all of these lies that they had said. So by this time, my father-in-law had voted for President Trump and kept pointing out all of his policies and said, look at what he's putting in place. Look at this stuff. Look at the stuff that they're not talking about. So now I'm at a, a spot where I'm, I'm becoming pro-Trump. And, and so I start reading his books and I said, if we get out there and I find out this is all garbage and everything, I'm going to pull the plug and I will not produce a project that's just going to be fake. I'm not going to do a puff piece, that kind of stuff. So we actually got to interview firsthand all these women. So we got to interview Kaylee McEnany in her home with baby Blake. And we got to interview Laura in her house and Pastor Paula White and find out that um, Trump has called her his pastor for over two decades and all that kind of stuff. And I started reading all of either books about Trump or by Trump. And he's been consistent over the years, in the 70s, the 80s, and 90s, on where America was headed, and then the policies that he that are pro-black, pro-female. You know, his first um, his first Trump Tower was built by a woman, or, or um, how did that go? Architect. Architect was uh, a woman, and so these we got in the middle of it, and we just used our craftsmanship to to share tell the truth, story. to tell a story. This the Trump I know. Yeah. All right, we're gonna have to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about some of your other works and the way we. Can impact culture. Matt and Joy, you've got incredible bios and you're telling amazing stories. 14 Telly Awards? That's impressive. Best Documentary at the 2019 Catalina Film Festival? Also impressive. You've taught film production, you've taught classes, and you've written, directed, and produced thousands of corporate and commercial projects. Two projects for the Republican uh, National Convention in 2020? Mm -hmm. Wow. And local production company on an episode for the 25th season of BBC's Top Gear, which is a great show. One thing caught my eye. Lemonade. Eight million views on YouTube? Yep. Yeah. That's incredible. It's a great story. Can we watch a clip? Absolutely. Yeah, that would be great. Do you want some? No, I want some ice cream. Here you go. Here you go. Thank you. Come on, fine. Do you need floaties? Do you have puppies? Puppies? Can't you clean? Buy, sell, lemonade. Do you have any puppies? There you go. How, how, how are you? How would you like a happy please? Do I look like McDonald's? Here you go.
I love that story. I mean, you in, in about six minutes taught a business school lesson that should be in every MBA program in America. I mean, it was, you, you, you taught competition, specialization, cooperation, and you did it by showing a story. What made you think of lemonade? Well, that's kind of interesting because I was under the pressure of doing a, I told my kids we were going to make a short film, and I had been wanting to make a short film as my first short film. And uh, so we were, I was like, I don't know what to do. And they were wanting to do like princesses and dragons and, you know, all this stuff. And, and, uh, and I was like, I can't do that. So, but I, I prayed about it actually. And, uh, and, and I was, I was uh, driving uh, to the store and all of a sudden I just saw in my mind the two lemonade stands that we happened to have in our garage. That's a longer story. But we had a lemonade stand, two lemonade stands. And I was like, wait a minute, hold on a second. Oh, we could do this. And it really was, the genesis of it was, as a, as a dad, I wanted to teach my daughters how to, you know, they, they were in this age where, like, oh, I'm better at this than, than she is, or she's better than this than I am. And, and we wanted to treat this people that, you know, everybody can be good at their own thing. We can celebrate other people for being good at what they, you know, are good at. And, uh, and so that was the genesis of it. But it was interesting because when we finished it, I had been reading a lot of free market economics and Mises and all of that stuff at the time. And it's really an example of exactly what you're talking about is that, you know, the subtlety of storytelling comes out of your heart. And so when all of a sudden um, I made this, this um, short with my kids and I put it into these film festivals, people were like, it, is this about Walmart and, and, and Amazon? You know what I mean? Is this about Main Street? You know, yeah. like, you know, the competition and everything. And we were like, um, sure. You know, <laughs> and, and, and it was kind of interesting to, to release that baby out into the world and to allow people to look at it and go, oh, wow, I'm seeing things that I didn't even see when I was creating it, which was really interesting. Well, Jesus was a master storyteller and you're telling stories. And again, I, I think you will see, and I'm, I'm going to urge every one of our viewers, we'll put a, a link to the YouTube in the battle plan. They need to go and watch this. Eight, eight million times it's been viewed. Uh, but it really does, uh, it, it makes all of those points, and it does it without being in your face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that was what the point was. It's like, it's like people get too focused on theme. And they forget about plot, which is really, you know, in the Aristotelian uh, hierarchy of storytelling, right? It's plot first, then characters, then theme. And I think that's part of the problem that you were alluding to uh, is that the, the woke crowd has become too infatuated with theme, which is where the Christians were for a long time. And uh, we have to learn how to, to put everything back in its rightful order, focus on plot first. And I think that, that that's where the good storytelling comes from. That's a great point. We had uh, Kevin and Sam Sorbo sitting right where you are. Uh, another husband-wife duo that just tell great stories and are doing amazing things. Um, But you're seeing a renaissance here, and you're actually leading that renaissance. I mean, I met you all with, I guess, Clay Clark at an event here in town, and Marnie said, let's go out and see what's going on. So we went out to to check it out, and it it is, you're telling a story of Clay Clark, you're telling a story of election, you're you're, you're just really covering some important ground. Thanks. We, we really felt like God has told us that um, this is our mission field, this is our battlefield, and that we are supposed to take the skill sets that he has given us, and out of the abundance of our heart, our art will speak. And um, so that's been kind of our mandate. So we, we really enjoy scripted narrative work. And while we've done some documentaries that have made note of um, a lot of our background is in the corporate and commercial side, and it's marketing. So you're talking about investors and financing and all that kind of stuff. Well, we're going to need to take a 
break. Okay. Well, when we come back, I want to talk about how we can tie money into it and how conservatives can help win back the culture. And the weapon, again, is money. So let's take a break. Matt and Joy, the studio system is dominated by the left. They made it big business, and they made a lot of money from it. And now they're pushing these woke, on-the-nose stories at us. Um, doesn't that create a huge opportunity for regular Americans? It does. I, I mean, our studio system has been ran by very few people, and we have an opportunity to disrupt that whole system right now. We can create smaller studios. We can collaborate. We can be more cost-effective. We can do this across the globe. And right now, as we're seeing the studios, and, and I mean, we're watching the theaters collapse right now, and so people aren't watching their things at, at uh, theaters anymore. They're watching them on their devices at home, all that. And so we have a really big opportunity like never before. Yeah, and with that, though, they have uh, writers, showrunners, publicity, channels, actors, investors. We have all of those available to us, but nobody's pulling them together. You're starting down that road, right? Yeah, that's that's been a passion of mine is to go in and meet with people from investors to, to distribution companies to people that are working on studios to, to creatives. And we've been talking about it. A lot of people um, the last couple decades have gone into Hollywood and served as Josephs and Daniels. But as you tell the story about yeah. Yeah, so I think it's like the Josephs and the Daniels, you know, like, um, you know, the last couple of decades, Christians kind of realized we were losing this media war and realized like, oh, hey, we should probably get back involved. And uh, and so we know a lot of Christians that, you know, jumped into the industry, got in there, were a part of some massively huge projects, um, big blockbuster type stuff. And uh, and then all of a sudden there was this been this shift in, and where now all of a sudden Nebuchadnezzar is no longer there and Belshazzar has taken his place. And, you know, the temple objects are being, you know, desecrated, right? And, and people are going like, I can't serve that anymore. And so there's a swath of not just Christians but conservatives in the industry that are looking for another place to go. And I think that provides an extraordinary opportunity for Renaissance because, like you said, you know, it's not, no, it's not about focusing on the, the woke and focusing on the themes and the stuff that they're trying to shove down their throat. These people really just want to tell great stories and they spent time in the palace like Moses did, right? And learned how to lead and learned how to do it well. And so we have this amazing opportunity to co yeah. coalesce that team together and really create some amazing stories that people really want to see. That's a great analogy, I love it. Uh, we did have the blockbusters, whether it, it is The Passion of the Christ with Mel Gibson or wh whether it is The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and the Chronicles of Narnia series. Uh, but, you know, investors want to get a return on their money, and, and Mel Gibson absolutely did. And some of these lower-budget Christian films will get in there, and they'll make some money. Uh, but for the most part, the average American looks at the film industry, like my old boss uh, when I worked at Templeton, his clients basically funded Dirty Dancing, one of the huge breakout independent films in the history of independent films they barely got their money back because of the way it was rigged against them. Is it possible 
for conservatives, for Christians to make money with films? Yes, absolutely. I think that um, not only can they make money, I think that it's on God's heart to tell these stories. And we need to have not just one-offs. As as Christians and conservatives, having one here and there, that's great, but we need to flood the world with content right now. The world is starving for quality storytelling. You need to know your audience. Is my audience three to five-year-olds? Is my audience a mature 18 plus? You know, we need to tell them stories. And so not only can there be a return on investment, if you are investing in a project that's that's $250,000 and you get a return on investment and they make money of, of $500,000, that's great. That's small. So when you're talking about making a $50 million film and it makes $100 million plus in the box office or more, then those are really great returns on investment. So we actually need to get down to the nitty gritty and, and share the details. Like we've, we've just overlooked so many things in storytelling. And I think that, that, that it's the economic model is there, right? It's not, because, so Christians have become, because of our theme-based ideas of how to make movies, you know, we've become like passionate about like these causal uh, one-offs, right? Where it's like, oh, give me some money so I can go and make my little $10 million movie or whatever, right? But we need to actually be savvy about it. We need to, to come at it as an investor and say like, okay, well, let's get like five or six ideas together. Let's package them properly. Treat let's it like bring, a business, diversify. Treat it like a business, exactly. And I think that's one of the biggest problems that Christians have had mm-hmm. over the years is we haven't treated it like a business. We've been treating it like a charity. And, and some of the things that we haven't done very well is product placement. So I watch Transformers and you're just like, this is a giant car commercial. And they've done that really well. And so if we actually want to fund American-made products and that, that kind of thing, you can use product placement in your stories, and you can do it naturally and organically. And so it's becoming a marketing tool. It's become an investment tool. You can sell these products. You know, Disney has capitalized on toys, and they have capitalized on board games and those kinds of things. And we just – we have – been thinking way too small, and so we need to actually explore all the things. We either think way too small or we think way too big, and we expect everybody's going to beat a path to our door, and as soon as this is released, everybody's going to love it, and it doesn't work that way. Yeah. No. Yeah. So... Well, and, and, and I think that, that what, what's really encouraging, what I really loved about the clip that you brought from, from Glenn Beck is that for about, because we, we started teaching classes about 10 years ago, and we would teach our students, like, don't try and hit the ball hard. You know, if you're learning how to play golf, right, you don't go out there and just try to whack it as far as you can. You try to hit the ball straight. And to me, storytelling and enter, is entertainment first. Mm-hmm. Hit the ball straight. Spielberg made Jaws before he made Schindler's List, right? It's like you got to learn how to entertain people so that then you can come in and tell some meaningful stories that change and shape culture. And that's what I think that Christians are finally kind of like getting around to doing. And and they are giving us an opportunity because I, I was surprised at how badly they've become these evangelists, these woke evangelists in their films. Yeah, no, they've dropped the ball. We can pick it up. I think you've got, where can people see more of your work? Where do they need to go? Well, right now, um, you can go to reawakeningseries.com. That's the, the documentary that you mentioned that we're working on with, with Clay Clark covering the reawakening tour and some of the, the themes that are going on in there. Uh, and uh, reawakeningseries.com. Um, there can also go to uh, the trumpiknow.com, which is uh, the documentary that you mentioned also. And then uh, spiropictures.com is our That's actual our website. website. So, great. Well, thank you so much for coming in. We'll put all that information in our economic battle plan. I've got some other good news for you. We're training up a generation of financial advisors 
who will be making investments to not only get a return on their money, but also to have an impact on the culture and hopefully doing it with people like you. Uh, and would you come back on the Economic War Room show and will you come back to our training as we train these financial advisors? Absolutely. Absolutely. We'd, We'd love be honored. to. There are three things you can do with your money. You can spend it, you can give it, you can invest it. Jesus taught us in Luke 16, 11, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, if you're not faithful with your money, nobody is ever going to trust you with true riches. So we've got to get the story right first. We've got to get our money properly invested, not in the woke, but in good things that entertain. We've got to be wise in what we're doing. And to do that, you're going to need financial advice. That's why we train financial advisors. If you have a stockbroker, financial planner, CPA, or insurance agent, Ask them to help you weaponize your money. If they don't know how, send them to our training, economicwarroom.com forward slash advisor. Nominate them. We'll train them. We'll help them help you. And if they're not willing to do that, maybe you need a different financial advisor. You can learn all the things we talked about on the show at economicwarroom.com. Go there and download the free battle plan for this episode and all our episodes. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.